Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the American Experiment podcast. I'm John Hinderocker, and Bill Glan, Policy Fellow at American Experiment, is with me today. Uh, Bill, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, John. It's great to be sitting under the majestic palm. <laughs> I think it's a, is it a, a majestic fern. I'm not sure it's exactly a palm. <laughs> Anyway, uh, what we're going to talk about today is research that you have been doing uh, for the center on campaign finance. And, you know, we came off a, a uh, 2022 election cycle. And how, how would you describe the results of that election cycle? They were close. It was almost a coin flip. You look at what happened in the election cycle. We had all four of the statewide offices up for a re-election. We had governor, attorney general, secretary of state, state auditor. We had four Democrats, all incumbents running for re-election. They all won. But what's remarkable is how close a couple of the races were. We came within 20,000 votes out of millions cast of electing the first Republican attorney general in decades. And then on the secretary or the, the state auditor's side, it was even closer. So uh, we had a very close election at the state level. And if you look at the state legislature, it was closer yet. We had in the state House of Representatives, 70, Republic, or sorry, 70 Democrats, 64 Republicans. That's exactly how we came out of it. Steets flipped either way, but on net, we were exactly where we started from, a very close breakdown there. And in the state Senate, we went from 34-33 to 34-33 the other way on net one seat flipped, and that gave Democrats what we call the trifecta, total control of state government. But that one seat that flipped in the Red Wing Hastings area flipped by all of 321 votes. So overall, the election ended up with one party rule, but you break down the numbers and it was almost a coin flip. So it was an extraordinarily close election that had kind of cosmic consequences as we have been talking about uh, on our off the cliff tour around the uh, state of Minnesota. Well, let's talk about campaign finance. Uh, if, if the election itself was close, how about the fundraising? Were, were, the, were the dollars spent on by and on behalf of the two parties' candidates? How close were they? Not close at all. In fact, uh, depending on how you calculate these things, what your denominator is. Democrats enjoyed something like a two to one to three to one advantage over Republicans. I calculated that on the Democrat side, if you add all those races together, I mentioned the 201 races for the legislature and the four statewide offices, Democrats took in something on the order of 97 million, almost $100 million for those races. And the, uh, the take on the Republican side, depending on, again, how you measure it, was half or even less than half of that. So are you counting their um, uh, PAC spending, spending by uh, the uh, you know, House Legislative Committee on each side, the Senate Committee, and so forth, as well as the campaigns themselves? I've tried to. I've tried to come up with a global dollar amount that includes everything. But with campaign finance, you run into some gray areas, like the dark money groups, these nonprofits whose dollars aren't counted in the campaign finance reports, but yet have a big influence over what happens in elections. Okay, but the $97 million spent on behalf of the Democrats uh, is the best you can do using, what, FEC filings? Is that the source? Campaign finance board. Yeah, okay. And, and so I guess the next question, Bill, is, is where does that money come from? 
Well, it comes from a lot of places, and a lot of it comes from outside the state of Minnesota. So of that $97 million, I've calculated at least $30 million of it comes from out of state. And a couple of dozen different states are recognized. California, a lot of money, a lot of donors from California. Washington, D.C. is the place where a lot of this cash gets generated. New York, New York City, but all up and down the East Coast, all over America. So, so let's kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, some of that money, obviously, is coming from individual donors. Other money is coming from organizations, right? Right. So the biggest dollar amounts come from these special purpose organizations. And it's kind of amazing getting into the details of it. So for every office, governor, secretary of state, attorney general, there is a corresponding national organization to promote Democrats and the Republicans have something on their side as well. So there's something called the Democratic Governors Association, which is an organization where they can get together and meet and exchange ideas, but it's also a fundraising vehicle to help Democrats get elected as governor all over America. And the Democrat Governors Association actually was the number one donor to Democratic politics this last cycle. That corporate entity and related corporate entities under that umbrella gave more than seven million. So you look at the, say, $100 million, seven million of it came from one source to promote one race on the ballot. That was the governor's race. Right, and then you have uh, repeated for every other race, you have millions for the attorney general, millions for secretary of state on down the ballot. What are some of the other entities, before we get to individual donors, what are some of the other entities that, that contributed substantial chunks of that $97 million? Well, unions are the obvious one. Uh, Education Minnesota itself gave something in the order of $5 million just from that corporate entity, a bunch of other smaller teachers' unions. The National Education Association gave millions. And a lot of the public employee unions, you look at uh, their acronyms MAPE, uh, ask me, the unions that represent government workers gave millions both from the state level and the national level. So that's probably the biggest group after those special purpose entities are the empl public employee unions. And there are a lot of private sector unions, AFL-CIO, the carpenters unions, the painters unions, commercial worker unions. Uh, they all gave, again, adding together millions of dollars to elect Democrats national groups and state and local groups. Yeah, the members of those unions may or may not vote for Democrats, but the, the union leadership uh, donates the money. Right, overwhelmingly to Democrats. So, so does that cover the, the main um, entities that, that, that contribute to that $97 million? It's the big dollars. If you add it together, that's the bulk of it. But there are a lot of other interesting groups for which we have very little information. Again, I'm not sure it qualifies under the definition of dark money, but groups, there was one group registered out of North Carolina with this uh, vague name, State Victory Action, gave millions of dollars, and nobody knows who was behind it, who the donors are, but we know who they gave on behalf of the candidates they were supporting. They were supporting Democrats. But there's a lot of these groups that are really unknown where their money comes from because of all the layers of donors and donors to donors. It's difficult to trace back to the original source. So a person gives money to an entity, that entity gives money to another entity, that entity gives money to another entity, and you may not be able to tell going through the required filings 
who the person was who gave the money in the right. first place. Is that what you're Again, talking about? Again, I'd use the shell company analogy, except in this instance, it's all totally legal. There, Nobody's uh, broken any campaign finance laws. This is all well within bounds. But, you know, again, you try to trace the money, the transparency, the accountability is just not there. But but as to some individuals, the money is given directly and we can identify the people right, who are actually right. giving millions of dollars. Let's move on and talk about that. We've been talking about the groups, the entities that contributed a lot of money. How about the individuals? Well, there's some very interesting names on the list. The second biggest donor to Democrat politics here in Minnesota is the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker. He's an heir to the Hyatt Hotel fortune, and he, as governor of Illinois, gave $2.6 million. But there's some other famous names on the list. There are, uh, for example, Steven Spielberg, the Oscar-winning movie director out of Hollywood. He gave $400,000 along with his wife, Kate Capshaw, to Minnesota politics on the Democrat side. And another famous name, which I'm sure you've heard of, is the New York-based financier George Soros and his extended family, also big donors to the cause. One of the names that crops up every couple of years in the newspapers is Alliance for a Better Minnesota. They're one of the big sources of money on the, on the left side of the scale. What, what is that group? Well, it's a nonprofit. In fact, it's a network of nonprofits. It's a very interconnected group of 501c3 and 501c4 and political action committees dedicated to electing Democrats to office in Minnesota. It's interesting, it was founded in 2007, which was right after the last uh, time a re Republican, Tim Pawlenty, won a statewide office. So uh, they were tired of losing statewide offices and they created this umbrella entity called the Alliance for a Better Minnesota to better coordinate fundraising and campaigning on the Democrat side. And I have to say, you know, I'm impressed with the results. They haven't lost a statewide race since. It's interesting that the current head of the state Democrat Party, which we stylize as the Democratic Farmer Labor Party, DFL in Minnesota, his name is Ken Martin. And before he became the head of the DFL party, he ran Win Minnesota, which is the fundraising arm of Alliance for a Better Minnesota. Do we know where their money comes from, uh, Alliance for a Better Minnesota? It comes from a lot of the same people I just mentioned, a lot of union money. In fact, they have different entities that seem to be... Uh, in existence to accept union money, entities that are there to accept big individual money, either from rich Minnesotans or rich people from the coasts. So it's a lot of the same people, but they have a bunch of other entities under their umbrella, these 501c4 entities. We don't know who gives to those because they're the, they are the dark money entities. They are nonprofits who do not have to disclose their donors, unlike a political action committee or some of these other entities a 501c3, 501c4s don't have to publicize their donor names. They could if they wanted to, but they're not required to, and they don't. So we've been talking about the 2022 election cycle, but we've seen some of this um, out-of-state money flowing in in other contexts as well. Isn't that right, Bill? Like, for example, the the Minneapolis referendum on, on policing. Right. So people will be aware after the George Floyd incident, there was a big push in the city of Minneapolis to defund the police. You had that scene where I think it was nine of the city council members got up on a platform and all said they were going to vote to defund the police. Well, that required would have required a referendum. 
And there was a referendum on the ballot here a couple of years ago that would have done just that. It would have abolished the police department and created a new entity that would have taken a different approach to policing. And this uh, defund the police referendum, the group behind it was something called Yes for Minneapolis. And it's interesting that if you look at the original donor, the seed money that came into this group was from out of state. In fact, it was George Soros's Open Society Foundation. Open Society Foundation gave $500,000 to get Yes for Minneapolis off the ground got them going and they spent millions of dollars in what turned out to be an unsuccessful effort to flip the uh, public safety situation in Minneapolis. So they spent millions of dollars seeded by the George Soros money, but also a lot of other money from coastal foundations, the Tides Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, lots of money that was channeled through the Black Lives Matter movement, millions of dollars. But again, my message on that is if you don't have the right message, if you don't have a winning position, you're not going to prevail no matter how many millions you throw at it. Yeah, so basically people who don't live in Minneapolis thought it was a, a great idea to get rid of the police department. People who do live in Minneapolis didn't agree, and that referendum failed badly. Exactly. So putting together all this out-of-state money made a huge contribution to the $97 million that got spent on behalf of of Minnesota Democrats. Well, what about the grassroots? Are, are there a lot of individual Minnesotans who are who are contributing, you know, modest amounts like you or I might do uh, to this cause? There are, there are. You look at the campaign finance reports and there's lots of small donors as well, but you compare the parties on this. The Republicans seem much better at tapping that grassroots level donor. So you look at, they produce multiples from the grassroots compared to the Democrats. Democrats have a much bigger advantage overall, but uh, Republicans do a much better job with the small dollar donor. The in-state donor, the actual voters, more likely to give to a Republican than a Democrat. So the Republicans do better with the grassroots here in Minnesota, but the Democrats do far, far better with rich liberals from around the country. Yeah, in fact, I looked at the Forbes 400 list. That's the list that the magazine puts together from time to time of the uh, biggest billionaires, 400 billionaires, and you have to be worth three, four billion to even make the list. Of the 400 billionaires on the most recent list, 23 gave to Democrats in Minnesota and only seven to Republicans. And again, the dollar amounts are just comically lopsided. Those seven Republicans gave a total of $70,000 among them. The 23 uh, Democrat uh, donors gave millions and millions in total. So it's very lopsided. And there just aren't as many billionaires donating on, donating on the Republican side. So, so that, that $97 million, uh, it's really interesting because in one sense you could say it didn't achieve much. The election was very, very close. Incumbents got reelected no, on a net basis. No seats flipped in the Minnesota House on a net, on a net basis. One seat flipped in the, in the Minnesota Senate by 321 votes. And yet, um, and, yeah, and certainly that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had a three-to-one disproportion in, in spending, right? Uh, and yet, uh, the consequences of that are, are really pretty extraordinary. It's, it's amazing. So it gets to the question of why. Why would all these folks from California, and I, there was a, several Silicon Valley billionaires who gave, uh, a lot of people from New York, all those entities out of Washington, D.C., what did they hope to accomplish 
by giving all this money. And I think we've seen the results the last uh, session. So Democrats with that one seat majority were able to take control of a budget that's $72 billion. So you think of it on the donation side, $100 million gave you leverage over $72 billion. That kind of return on investment just isn't available in Silicon Valley or on Wall Street. It was an incredible amount of leverage. So they controlled the state budget. And again, the uh, public employee unions benefited from this. Big pay raises through their contracts. Big increases. Lots of new members, too. Thousands of new hires. Uh, Every state agency, every single one is going to be hiring in the next year. All of those are going to be union employees, more union dues. But the policy side as well is fairly amazing. We've been talking on our Off the Cliff tour about all the policy changes, putting aside all the budget stuff, the tax stuff. Just amazing policy wins for Minnesota Democrats with that one-seat majority. And take the uh, issue of abortion. We had a fairly middle-of-the-road abortion law in Minnesota. You know, there were some restrictions on it. It's fairly liberal. Now there are no restrictions. We can't find another state in America where there are absolutely no restrictions whatsoever on abortions. Not California, not New York. Minnesota now has the state's most liberal abortion. So my working theory is these Silicon Valley billionaires, these other groups see Minnesota as a laboratory for the progressive agenda. And we saw at the end of session, our governor, Tim Walls, went around the country, Washington and New York, taking a victory lap. The New York Times, the Washington Post all hailed Minnesota as this progressive model for America. That's how you get things done. You, you take control even by the smallest of margins and you run the table with all the left wing progressive policy you can think of. So it worked out well for them that uh, a modest investment, you know, it sounds like a lot of money. $100 million isn't that much money in the grand scheme of things. It bought an entire state's politics. And now they are a progressive model for America. You know, it seems to me, Bill, I don't know if you've if you've looked at other states, you know, to get that kind of a comparison. But it seems to me that left wingers, rich left wingers around the United States have figured out that Minnesota is a state that they can buy cheap. I mean, $97 million for a two-year election cycle in the scheme of things, that is not that much money. And you've seen this happen. Colorado is an example where they were fairly red, if you want to use that word, uh, fairly uh, conservative. And then with a lot of migration from California and other states and with some strategic investment on the part of uh, left-wing donors, they've turned that to a fairly blue state. And so I think people see that. They've been making big efforts in Florida and Texas, but those are huge states. You could spend hundreds and hundreds of millions and not move the needle. So I think people have figured out, you know, some of these flyover states which have fairly modest populations and concentrated media centers, they're doable on the cheap. So where do we go from here, Bill? We've, we've just finished up the uh, 2023 legislative session a couple of months ago. Already people are talking about the 2024 election cycle. They're talking about it nationally, of course, at the presidential race, but also here in Minnesota. Is this a permanent condition? Is this something we see cycle after cycle where the where the left is just vastly, vastly better funded than the right here in Minnesota? Well, I guess it's my personal hope that the right's going to wake up and figure, you know, with maybe a few more dollars, we could we could flip this result. 
But it'll be interesting to see what happens in the 2024 cycle because only the state House of Representatives is up for election. And I wonder if these national groups will have Minnesota still on their radar because there isn't the governor's race or some of these other statewide races. The state Senate's not up for election. Are they going to figure, hey, we already uh, we already donated. We already got the result we wanted. We're going to go look at some other state as a better target. Or will they continue to double down and reinforce their investment here in Minnesota? We're going to continue to watch and, and monitor and follow the money. Maybe they'll move on and try to buy Iowa. Who knows? <laughs> In any event, um, Bill Glahn, thanks for being with us here on episode two of the American Experiment podcast.